Heard you looking for Candyman, bitch. That's a classic line from the movie we're reviewing today. Of course, Candyman from 1992. I swear, if I ever get mugged, I want them to say that line to me before they mug me. I'll happily hand over my wallet if they give me that line first. Hopefully, they actually want to autograph and not my wallet. And hopefully, they'll let me go. But if not, take my wallet because that line kicks ass. Well, that and you don't want to get shot. Well, of course. Or, or stabbed. With a hook. <laughs> today, we're doing Candyman, the OG from 1992 Candyman now streaming on Peacock. And no, we're not getting any sponsoring money from Peacock. Just thought I'd point the fans in that direction since it is free to watch there if you have Peacock. Or if you have the movie, it's free to watch on your own DVD. Now that would be the best way to do it. Uh, I do actually have it on Blu-ray. And I sadly still watch it on Peacock because I'm a sucker. And it felt easier to just turn on Peacock than to actually get the Blu-ray from my shelf, walk over the Blu-ray player, and slip the disc in. My remote control was able just to turn on Peacock. Now, Peacock did have commercials also, so I'm a super sucker. But that's not important. We're here to talk about the movie. Everyone, on three, say it with me. Three, you lazy bastard. Why? You didn't even count one, two. You just went straight to three. (laughs) Give a little bit of background here. There's some interesting things behind Candyman. The original story was a short story by none other than Clive Barker. Was it the uh, Forbidden? Also, Clive Barker, of course. Author, writer, director, responsible for the Hellraiser series. No, um, he's responsible for, I believe, one and two. He's the creator of the character Pinhead. Like, oh, yeah. He created the first one, and then they just took it and made a bunch of shitty sequels. Which, to be honest with you, um, he's even said himself, Pinhead was never meant to be the main villain of that series. Put a pin in that idea. But apparently watch the first two, because I've heard good things about Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2. Hellraiser is good. Hellraiser 2 is actually an extreme, is a little bit better than the first movie, in my opinion. The first one, we probably, probably pretty soon should podcast that one. The that's first a, two. That's probably, yeah, that's probably, those are probably interesting movies we could podcast we, about. We can leave the rest alone. But the first two, oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, one thing also to mention is that there was another story that influenced this. It was an article written about there was an actual murderer where somebody had came in through the medicine cabinet from the other apartment. Huh. That's a real-life actual story that inspires, obviously, that's a big reoccurring thing in Candyman is the idea of somebody coming to the cabinet and Candyman himself comes to the mirror. So that was an article that was written. The, the writer did an article retrospective like 2016. He had never watched Candyman because he assumed it was just like a bad slasher movie. But then he went back revisited and was like, oh, this is actually pretty good. Um, so... Casting-wise, we have Tony Todd, who might be Nick's favorite actor. No. Oh, my, I mean, well, he's not in Supernatural, so maybe not. But he's probably in your top five, right? I mean, My favorite actor, I'd have to say, is Will Smith. What? Yep. More than, better than Robert England or Tony Todd? Yes. This is ridiculous. Because as this much is, as is, they are great. That is, that is Will Dickulous, all right? As much. Will Dickulous. Get out. God willing, you will change your answer, right? Get the fuck out. <laughs> no. Will I? No. <laughs> will you? No. Tony Todd is up there for you as one of your favorites. Yes. You've mentioned this many times before. Yes. Tony Todd is a horror icon, right? Yes. And for me, it's from two things. It's from Candyman and then also the Night of the Living Dead remake. There are two things where I think he's synonymous with horror. I was going to say Final Destination, even though Ooh. he has cameos, but it's still yeah. classified as horror. Yeah, that's an iconic thing too, but just because it's like such a more of a cameo type role, mm. it, it can't get the same level as Candyman and uh, and Night Living Dead remake. Tony Todd stars here, but you know who almost starred as the female Lee in this movie? Who? And you have a wonderful family connection to her, 
up Sandra Bullock. The ah. return of Sandra Bullock. This was before Speed, before she was a known actress. She was the second choice, and they actually said that if Virginia Madsen had not been available, they were going to cast Sandra Bullock. That would have been interesting. Yeah, would Because Sandra Bullock has some chops. But Virginia Madsen has some and chops, too. And she's cute. Virginia Madsen has some chops, though. So. Oh, yeah. Virginia Madsen was great for this role. Um, now, do you know who the original... This is almost too comical for me to believe, but it says it on IMDb. I'm going to give it some credibility and assume it's valid, but literally it says that the original choice for Candyman was motherfucking Eddie Murphy. And it actually says, as a footnote next to it, it says, but he wasn't tall enough. <laughs> you can't make this up. You're telling me they offered this to Eddie Murphy? <laughs> now, it's so funny because I'm thinking about it, I'm like, well, he was like Vampire in Brooklyn like the year after this, so maybe he was looking for this kind of shit. But would that have just destroyed... I love Eddie Murphy, but that would have ruined Candyman. You would only do that if you're like doing a comedic movie. So I don't even know. It sounds too outlandish to be true, but nobody is like taking it down off IMDb. It's always been there. They make it seem like literally, yeah, we'll take Eddie Murphy. And they're like, you know, he's not tall enough. Like Eddie Murphy's one of the biggest stars in the world. He's like, ah, he's not tall enough. If he wanted to do it, I'm pretty sure you would have changed the entire script to make it an Eddie Murphy movie. (laughs) Yeah, they make it seem like, ah, yeah, we, we thought about it. He was on board. We're like, ah, you're not tall enough. Eddie Murphy, get away from our project. Tony Todd, get on board. Somebody, please, if you have more information about this, I need, to be, I need someone from the movie to be like, we considered Eddie Murphy. Because it's just, it's amazing to think about. Uh, I don't think they considered Eddie Murphy. There's no fucking way. They couldn't even afford him. Like, it's a low-budget movie. Like, I, would, I, I would agree if they said they were considering, like, Wesley Snipes. I mean, he's, probably, he's still not as tall as Tony Todd. I don't think they could have afforded him either, though. So how the fuck did they afford Tony Todd? What world are you living in where Tony Todd is some like high-paid star actor? I love the guy, but before this, Night Living Dead remake, but it's not like he's like demanding Wesley Snipes money or Eddie Murphy money. Wesley Snipes wasn't even demanding Wesley Snipes money yet. Yeah, but he, he was... wasn't demanding that kind of money until 1998 when he did Blade. Well, he was demanding uh, twice as much as Tony Todd, I bet. Or how about Michael Jai White? I mean, it's not an action movie, but 1992. What? He was sort of around back then, I think. Uh, well, when did Spawn came out? It was like 1996? 95, 96, just, yeah. Not, maybe 97. Maybe 97. Either way. It was... but, but he did um, a, a Mike Tyson movie where he's playing Mike Tyson. Hmm. It was like in the early 90s. It was a Tyson biopic he did. So he was around. But I know what you're thinking, but you don't need a martial artist for Candyman. It's not like he's going to put the hook down. You don't and, need him to He's do not going to put the hook down and hit, hit the victim At least with kick. Wesley Snipes, he had that. Well, even Michael Jai White, they both have that the deep, deep voice. Deep voice. Uh, they can't. Their screen presence is demanding. You know who's an interesting choice I think could have probably pulled off is Danny Glover. I'm thinking Ooh. of Danny Glover from Predator 2. He has that voice, too. And he's tall. Yeah, like his, how his voice sounds in the Saw movie. It's like. That would have been interesting, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm glad we got Tony Todd because this is one of those, like, to me, this is like, this is like Freddy Krueger. I don't think you can't have a new Candyman, so. Morgan Freeman. <laughs> yeah, but his voice is so soothing. It's like, before he hooks you, it just, like, makes you feel all good and special inside. Well, remember how Virginia Madison was looking throughout every scene Tony Todd was talking to her? She looked like she was showing off her neck for a vampire to go, nom. I'd pay to see Morgan Freeman deliver a line of, I heard you look for Candyman, bitch. Imagine Morgan Freeman saying that. Amazing. Denzel, hey, remember in the movie? Denzel, Denzel would have been too big. But. Remember the movie Wanted where Morgan Freeman, I think that's the only time I've ever heard Morgan Freeman curse. Or oh, you going to shoot this motherfucker. It's like, 
Okay. Speak of that. Samuel Jackson. Oh, gosh. I heard you looking for Candyman, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have to say motherfucker at least five times before in my cameo. Look in the mirror and say snakes on a plane five times. <laughs> I was thinking about if Eddie Murphy played him. Oh, gosh. You know, it, you know how the scene would be, right? It would be, it'd be somebody looking in the mirror saying Candyman four times. On the fourth time, Eddie Murphy shows up in the mirror in his Vampire in Brooklyn outfit. And he says, I'm warning you to shut your fucking mouth <laughs> and, and stop dri- and get away from the mayor. God damn it. And drive the fucking car. The movie could have had some different casting, but the casting ended up being pretty spot on. So, um, The score. We got to talk about the score. Oh, the score is amazing in this movie. They know exactly when to use it, when, um, how to use it. Right from the opening credits, which is showing, um, like, the freeways, like, cars driving, and you're getting, like, a look of sh- overhead of Chicago, basically. That music hits, and I'm already like, wow, this is already, like, creepy as hell. I'm like, live, folks, this movie is genuinely creepy. Like, this is one of those horror movies that you could easily be very, very scared watching. Yeah, because, to me, to be honest with you, I think they were going more with a psychological thriller kind of deal with this movie versus horror slasher. Definitely not slasher, but it does have jump scares. It has like slow burn psychological. The only horror. jump scare I got was a fake jump scare where the husband jumped on the bed. Oh yeah, what about when she's looking in the mirror and the hook comes out the mirror? Remember towards the end? Yeah, it still didn't make me jump. It made it made uh it made Virginia Madsen jump because they didn't tell her that that was going to happen. So you got to watch this scene and keep in mind that apparently she actually ran all the way off stage even. <laughs> like in the movie, she runs out of the apartment. Apparently she was like, they set up to where she didn't know that was going to happen. So it was actually a genuine... Horror director that on the smart moments. They set it up a jump scare where the actor doesn't know about it and you get that genuine reaction. That's, that's a smart way to do it, honestly. We have... Well, okay, well... We have the skyline... Well, not skyline. We have the downward drone shot of Chicago while... Tony Todd is delivering his first uh, monologue because this movie, every time he's on, he gives like a what, a good five sentence monologue. Yeah, and it looks like at a certain point that an entire swarm of bees is about to take over the entire Chicago. Yeah, it's like he's unleashed the damn, the entire beehive. Release the bees. Yeah, I'm like, oh, this is an interesting movie. It's gonna be a movie that's gonna be about bees taking over the city, but <coughs> not the movie we got. But then get introduced to uh, pretty much the story of what Candyman is. Right. So what we learn quickly is that Candyman represents... Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary, basically an urban legend. All these kids in school have different stories about Candyman and what he's done. And we get one example of the story about the the biker dude that comes over and his girlfriend stupidly says Candyman the mayor five times for no reason at all that I can see. And then she gets gutted. Rightfully so. I mean, she knew what she was doing and she did the wrong thing. So, but this is—it's told in a way of just like, okay, is this kid just making up this story? Because he's like, basically, oh my, yeah, my sister's friend knew the guy. It's like, ah, it's, this is. Oh, and don't forget—he apparently was so scared his hair turned white. He was so shocked. Wow. These are urban legends. It's always bullshit usually. So. Oh yeah. Well, and then we get her friend Bernadette, who's uh. Interviewing another kid who's obviously wants to have sex with this woman. Yes, and that's why he's making up a story once again about Candyman. Sitting there just like, <laughs> so, what's your number? Right. So, can I get your number? Can I get it? I need those seven digits that connects me to you telephonically. And, and it's funny because Helen and Bernadette are basically doing a thesis on urban legends. And 
I guess from Helen's point of view, they're trying to disprove it, I guess? Yes. Okay. And uh, uh, disprove it uh, or find some form of validity to the urban legends as then her husband, who is a professor at the same college, is talking about the alligator urban legend, which... And Helen is pissed off at him because... He was supposed to wait. He's jumped the gun and is already doing that, basically. Which, he does give her a pretty clear point of, it's in the curriculum, I have to do it when I have to do it. He also gives a really early sign that he's having an affair. Oh, that too. She asks about it, and he's like, ah, she's in love with me. Yeah, we know what you're about to do, man. Especially since it was like, yeah, we noticed she could not even look Virginia in the eye. I think the movie does a good job. I think what they're aiming for is that she, Helen is so obsessed with this thesis but she, that her relationship's falling apart and she really can't pick up on the pick subtleties. Up on it. Yeah. We just watched this first scene. You can already see that really the relationship is on the rocks. But I will say this, though. Going on the uh, alligator thing that he was talking about, um, he mentioned that the, that the people, the reason the alligators ended up in the sewers is because the alligators got too big, they flushed them down the toilet. If an alligator is too big to keep, um, they're kind of too big to flush down a toilet. Most likely, too I, big for too big alligator wise is probably about the size of my arm. Never tried it, but I do think alligators are the most evil creatures in the world. Sometimes of you'll see not. a picture with a like alligator with those eyes, evil eyes, of and not. I just don't know what the purpose no, of them are. I feel like they should. They're be. very cuddly creatures. My dad had one when he was a kid. He actually had two. One, one, my grandma thought needed sun and put him on a radiator where he. Uh, burned to death and then the second one you know got so angry ended up biting a kid so the cops had to shoot it how's that you haven't heard the stories about alligators in disney world eating little kids who come close to the water well then don't let them get close to the water that's true it's bad parenting yeah anyways back to Candyman. so we find out pretty clearly that helen even though even though she's researching her stance clearly is like she actually tells bernard she's like you don't believe in this do you like she's a she's a skeptic she doesn't believe in candy man um we well, get um, well. We do get a scene where Helen talks to a character named Kitty. Yes. Who explains that yes, Candyman's already kill, been killing people and Cabrini Green. Yes, and now she can actually start to find about find out about an actual real murder that happened. Not an urban legend. This is an actual real murder where somebody supposedly was killed with a hook. Mm-hmm. So now we're getting some some nitty gritty. They also have a cool scene. Where to go back to the, the mirror thing, she's showing that the mirror, basically, there's no wall there. Mm-hmm. Behind the mirror, essentially, is just leads into the other room, basically. Yeah, her, her complex, the uh, apartment complex she's living in and Cabrini Green were actually made in the exact same format. Yes, yeah. And so the movie, this is the more nuanced, um, like, social, economic issues that it's touching upon. It's not beating over the head with it, basically, but basically talking about, okay, the separation hair and why they couldn't have that hair. Well, it's interesting, but you got to, like, it's kind of in the, on the undercurrent and not in your face, basically. Oh, yeah. Um, key thing here is Helen goes ahead and says Candyman five times in there. Some tells me that's a bad idea. And Bernadette being smart is like, nope. She says it four times. She's like, I'm not saying it Yeah, but times. she was still in the mirror when the fifth time was said. You think that's part of the rules? Most likely. Candyman's fair. He should give her a break because it feels like she was like, I'm not doing that fifth one. Yeah, but notice how he didn't show up. So he has to be fake. But now they decide to go to Cabrini Green by themselves. With no two gun. women. No gun. No gun. They do have pepper spray. No knife. And, and they look like cops. Very much like cops. They look like investigative reporters slash cops. Yeah, so they go in and even Helen tells Bernadette, look, they think we're cops. We're safe. And I'm like, no. If they think you're cops, you're in more danger than if you were just women walking in there. 
Yeah, Helen, again, like, she's so focused on the thesis that she seems to be oblivious to everything around her. She doesn't understand these living conditions, the kind of people that are here. She doesn't understand the crime element she's putting herself into. She thinks she can just, like, walk into any situation, walk out. She has the blinders on. She's so focused on this project. No, like I said, but... No, seriously, if they thought they were... If they literally thought those women were cops... To be fair, they'd be dead the minute they got it. Because the further up you go, the less of an escape route you now have. Oh, we're going to see pretty soon. There's some consequences for coming to that neighborhood. So. Oh, yeah. Like uh, a Candyman exposition dump. Well, listen. Sometimes you got to have it. It's I mean, like, this is where we find out. It's like bagel bites. Yeah, this is where sometimes we, you got to have it. This is where we find out about who uh, the Candyman is. His name is Daniel. Rob- was it Robotoff? Daniel Robotussin, yes. Robotussin. Robitussin. <laughs> Let's just say Tony Todd. Yeah. This is where we find out his name is Tony Todd. A.K.A. Daniel. Uh, and that uh, his father was a slave who got himself free and became a, pr- a pretty good, what was it, a bank teller? Either way, he ended up a, as a, in a pretty good family because he went to one of the best schools he could. Oh, he no. was allowed to go to. No, his father had, had, his father had manufactured some kind of shoe thing mm. and got rich through uh, manufacturing shoes. Oh, God. And from that, he sent uh, young Candyman to different schools, different private academies. And he a became of, a painter. A lot of fellow students that he could hook. No, he didn't actually hook any students at that point. He was just a good student on the right track and became a great painter. Yep, became a good painter where uh, most stories like this, you know, if you ever saw the movie Jungle Fever, you probably understand where this is going. He fell in love with uh, a girl that he was doing a portrait for. Mm-hmm. And a white woman, and the father found out, and the father cut did, his hand. Did not, did not per se just say you can't date my daughter. The father took revenge in a very extreme way. Yep, he cut off his hand. Well, now he has no hand, so he repla- so Tony Todd replaced it with a stump with a hook on a bloody stump. Then he had. Honey rubbed all over him, where then bees came and just stung the shit out of him. An entire beehive, and thus. Candyman. Now, I gotta say, if I have a daughter and she's dating somebody I don't like, I don't know if I'm gonna go to that extreme. I mean, come on, man. I did, you rub some honey on them and have bees stinging them? It's creative, but damn! Right. Holy shit! So who's the real villain here? Anyway. Uh, definitely her father. <laughs> right. Like, if if Candyman, the only reason, the only reason Candyman's a villain is because as we'll see, he's basically killing innocent people. His drive is he has to shed innocent blood. If he was killing people that were bad, then he would be sympath- sympathetic, but... The way he kills people and the people he kills, he's not sympathetic. Right, because he just kills anyone who comes up and says his name five times in a mirror. Well, didn't he kill a baby? So my problem is I don't understand some of the killings they talk about as far as was that him or was that the The, human candy man? So what I'm understanding is everything done for the most part is human candy man. And that's what the cops think. But human candy man seems like... I mean, if, like a petty criminal, not like a, a massive murderer. Well, I yeah, think we, only, we only get like one scene of him, really. But yeah, but uh, when we get further into it, I can kind of explain my theory on why I think Human Candyman did most of the killings at Cabrini Green. Okay, because literally they say a baby died. No, they said he cut off the penis of one of the kid of the kids. What the hell? Um, but yeah, that's pretty much where we uh, uh, segue into Helen going back to Cabrini Green by herself. By herself, once again, no gun, no knife. Looking like a damn 
cop. Well, Helen run uh, gets Jake to show her where Candyman is, where he shows tells her the tragic story of a kid who needed to use the restroom. And let me just say, Jake, finally a decent actor, child actor, in a horror film, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street series. You can learn a thing or two from the casting director, Candyman. Found a decent child actor who did not get on my nerves. So, and then, uh, well, that's probably because the kid wasn't in the movie all that much. He was used just the right amount. Yep. I felt like. But, uh, but he, he leads her to what he thinks is Candyman. Yep. Which then, yeah, you, actually, guy goes in. There was a cool shot of like, um, you remember when like the kids outside and like waiting for her to come out. Someone shows up behind him, and I'm like, oh shit! And he's like Candyman. Like, damn. I'm I'm thinking that's the real thing, but and then the guy comes in, and we get the line, best line ever. Welcome to prime time, bitch. The word bitch triggers Freddie in your mind so much. Yeah, I see that. It's like he goes in to meet Helen. Helen's like, I, I'm trying to get out of here. And he goes, heard you looking for a candy man, bitch. No, 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 she's not. She ain't looking ah, for no candy man. Ah, you found him, and now get a hook to the head. Yep. Now this is interesting. Why didn't he kill her? What was he trying to do? He hit her really hard in the head, though. And the sound sounds like he hit her multiple times. Yeah, and there's blood coming from her head. Like, she should be dead, probably. No, unconscious. But what I'm still one because when you see her, it looks like it was still only the one hit instead of multiple. But you're right. There's a second sound effect indicating a second hit. Yeah, and I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, so... But this dude you, actually has a hook on his head. Yeah, wow. Well, a real hook. Yeah. Crazy. But what I'm trying to figure out is he killed somebody in there. Okay. He cut off a kid's penis, but yet he's not going to kill this woman who could easily now identify him because he walked in there with no mask. This is why I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think see him as that dude because he walks in and he has like, he has like kids as like his backup following him too. He's like a petty small gang criminal leader. And I mean, it's weird that like someone like that, let's say he's a drug dealer. He actually has a hook on his head. You think he had like a gun or something like that? He has a hook. But what if I'm somebody st- else has a gun? I'm still wondering, like, why did he purposely leave her alive? There's no way he thought, okay, she's unconscious. I killed her. If he's already killed someone, he knows what a dead body looks like. Not that, but he's the dumbest criminal ever. He does this and immediately gets caught by the police. Yeah. He's literally in the lineup for her to identify him in the next scene. So I'm still wondering, why did he leave her alive? If he didn't leave her alive, he would not have been caught. And then we wouldn't have a movie, but... It's a half measure, because if you're going to knock her out like that... Kill her! Office job, but that's why I'm thinking that maybe he's not responsible for the murders. Maybe it is all Candyman. I don't know. Eh, well... So where the story goes, pretty much, is that she um, identifies fake Candyman in the lineup. Yep. Fake Candyman goes to jail. Yep. Problem solved. Candyman's off the streets. Yep. And she tells the little kid, the little kid Jake, she's like, hey, Candyman wasn't real. He was Can- just a bad man... Saying he was this, but he wasn't real. Candyman not real? The way Jake said it, I felt for him. It looked like he was just told that Santa Claus wasn't real, which makes it kind of weird because like, he looks very disappointed that there's no uh, mass serial killer named Candyman. Santa um, Claus ain't real? So we get Helen basically readjusting back to her life post-hospital, post, I can only think, severe concussion. Yep. Um, she's cooking dinner for her husband, yep. trying to finally repair that relationship. Yep. She's meeting with Bernadette. They have new photos they're developing. Yep. Everything's back to normal. But what she doesn't know is that when she apprehended the fake Candyman and put all the blame on him, that might have pissed off uh, the real Candyman. 
That was not coming out right. <laughs> You're just not on your voice game. No, I'm not. Though. Holy fuck. Okay. Yeah, I, I want the I want the genuine Helen. I want the Candyman voice Helen. Come on. This is the best scene in the movie, maybe. Right? <laughs> yes. Helen. <laughs> yeah, who's that? If I'm in a parking garage and I hear a fucking Candyman say my voice like that, I'm not saying, hey, who's that? Hey, whoever that is, you want to come over and have a cup of tea with me? She's just very casual. And then she looks across the garage. Who is it? Motherfucking Tony Todd. Standing there, hands behind his back, looking up in the air. What does he say? He says, I heard you looking for Candyman, bitch. And it's just hilarious because he's obviously in cahoots with the fake Candyman. They're working together, man. They're working together. Yeah, but for some reason, Tony Todd saying bitch doesn't sound as right. It's just not his word. It doesn't roll off the tongue for him at all. No, no, no. He's more likely to say, Helen. So anyways, but actually, no, he's talking about the uh, the writing on the wall and the... Well, he was saying that. He was also mentioning that she had messed up his congregation and now he needs to put it back together. Basically, when she put the blame on fake Candyman, she made, or she's trying to make the legend of Candyman go away. And that's just like Freddy Krueger. Candyman needs a legend to keep being told. He needs fear out there of him so he can actually keep doing his thing. This is 40 minutes of the movie that you get your first Candyman appearance. Mm-hmm. It's slow burn, but at this point, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't bored. Because yeah, he's got here, the mystery. Like, now I'm like, I'm super excited for the second half of the movie. So here's the one thing I'm wondering. So she blacks out and ends up back in uh, the woman's house, Anne-Marie's house. What I'm trying to figure out... This was cruel to the animals, yes. Well, besides that. Okay. Why... Would you, you wake up covered in blood, you see the dog's head, see the knife. Yep. Why would you pick up the knife? I think, I'm going to just freestyle her. I think she smelled some fruit in the kitchen, and she thought she'd go to the kitchen with the knife and chop the fruit up and eat a slice of the orange. So I guess the blood all over, it was not blood, it was raspberry jam? It was raspberry jam. It was raspberry jam. That's, I think, was the director's intention. I'm just saying, I'm just throwing it out there. I mean, I could be wrong, but or I, pureed, I don't think so. Or pureed watermelon. Oh, I'm not just, now you're just being silly, so. <laughs> um, what this starts is Candyman is now framing Helen, basically. Yes. Now she's got, now the cops have their sights set on Helen. Yes. Because she is clearly the most obvious suspect when she's found stabbing, uh, she's not stabbing. She has. She's about to. She has the knife in the air. She's screaming at Anne. No, Marie, at one point, calm down. No, she stabbed in the shoulder too. Because Anne Marie was right on top of her, sitting there slamming her face up against the door. Because from Anne Marie's perspective, she stole her baby and cut off her dog's head. Yes, she should get stabbed. Now Helen is in custody because she has blood all over, her, and we have an uncomfortable scene where the police officers ask her to take off all her clothes. Very um, uncomfortable scene. She uses her phone call to call her husband. At, what is it, 3 o'clock in the morning? 3 o'clock in the morning, and the phone rings. We cut to the bedroom to see the husband is not there. He's with the student. I was going to say, I think it has something to do with that student from the first scene. Yeah, he's with that, uh, that blonde student that couldn't look Helen in the eye. But when Helen asks him, he says, I was uh, fast I was, asleep. Yeah, I was fast asleep. So, again, be honest with you. With this, being a, with this movie trying to pretty much be a psychological thriller, uh, we, what we should not see is anything that's not in Helen's point of view. 
It should not have, to my opinion, should not have cut to the bedroom showing that the husband wasn't there. You're basically saying it works better, and I agree, if, if this is just a paranoid thought she's having. Mm -hmm. Like, is my husband cheating on me? But we don't know if he's actually cheating. Basically, this may work better if her husband cheating is just like a, a paranoid delusion she's having. We, don't, we, the audience, don't know if he's cheating. At the end, you can still confirm when he's with the girl at the last scene. Right. But throughout the movie, we, we don't know. But unfortunately, they show that he's not there and he's lying. So. Right. So. But, but I think what they're doing is basically, Helen's entire life is falling apart. Everything's going to shit. Her relationship, her job, her mental health. Everything is crumbling. At the beginning of the movie, she was a stable, successful person. Now everything's going to shit. Mm-hmm. And this is the Tony Todd effect. So this is the Candyman effect. So. Oh yeah. So as she's she's been processed, her husband finally shows up to uh, get her out of there. Probably the next day. Yeah. Yeah, it was the next day. It show, finally shows up, a, gets her out of jail. He's a heavy sleeper, so very heavy. Get her to home. Uh, he goes out to pick up some stuff when Bernadette comes up, but she's already pretty much being attacked by Candyman at this point. So, this scene was a little bit awkward because Bernadette's knocking on the door, right? And nobody's really answering. But then Helen basically Screaming. makes things worse because she screams. Which but she's leads... trying to scream at her, Bernadette, leave. Run away. What Bernadette just hears is, oh, my friend Helen's in trouble. She doesn't hear Bernadette go away because it's not communicated that. So, Bernadette walks in the room and the door immediately slams shut behind her. Which is creepy as shit. A little with, small detail. Yeah, with Tony Todd, I mean, Daniel Robotessen. Him and Bernadette, they have a moment here. They lock eyes, and I'll tell you, the romantic chemistry, they don't show what happened, but I think what happened is I think he asked her out on a date right there. He hadn't been on a date in a long time. He asked Bernadette on a date. She said no because obviously he's got a hook for her hand, and then he took out his frustrations on her. But, man, they locked eyes, and I saw the, the, the fireworks sparkle, and I was like, man... In another world, this would be a romantic comedy. Bernadette and the Candyman uh, getting together. Did you share that same perspective that I came to? Because it was right there in front of you. I mean, it's like they, the, the romantic sparks are just flying, man, flying out of my TV. So No. Bernadette got the worst of anybody. When they show her body, I had, just to, fucked. I had to pause it. That was the most mutilated body I've ever seen in my life in a horror movie. She was literally disemboweled. Oh, yeah. Like, from the stomach all the way to the throat. And she turned green. That's a good, in, that's a good uh, detail. Bodies change colors, and sometimes horror movies forget that. It's not realistic. But I was like, damn. And the cops are stupid because they're thinking Helen did it. But I think Helen has, like, a, like a regular knife in her hand. Still, that, right? Yeah. She, has, she pulled that knife for, to defend herself when Candyman came at her. It doesn't even look on the surface. It doesn't look like, like, like she would have the strength. If I'm a cop, like... Doesn't look like she has the strength to actually do that to Bernadette. Does that make sense? Bernadette could have been in sh so much shock that uh, she didn't fight back. Like, her body so mutilated, like, it would, ha it would have to be a big-ass hook. I mean, they, them thinking that uh, Helen with a little small kitchen knife did that is just bad policing, in my opinion. But, that said, Helen's pretty much screwed because now, like, I mean, she's by far clearly guilty from their perspective. So. Oh, yeah. And by the way, at this point in the movie, the husband now, the husband is justified by moving on from Helen because from his perspective, 
My wife is a murderer. Her best friend is laying on the ground, gutted. I'm not sharing a bed with this woman. Now his affair, I know he already started that affair previously, but now I don't blame him now for being like, I'm getting away from this girl. Well, now uh, Helen goes to the hospital. Candyman comes to her. She has a psycho freak out, and they drug her. Is this where she has to go see the therapist? A little bit, a a little bit after she sees the therapist, but yeah. Well, let's talk about the therapist mm, because the therapist. Drugs. Yeah, the therapist is a non-believer. Oh, let's mention how much time has passed. Oh yeah. One month has passed since that scene to her being taken to the therapist. Yep, and. Because the therapist doesn't believe, she decides she's going to call Candyman. Oh, yeah. She decided, I'm, I'm done with this shit. She got the man killed. Yep. This was the most... She was done with this shit. Yeah, she was like, all right, I got to get out of this hospital. So. Candyman, come help me out. Yep. Candyman kills Burke, releases Helen after being sedated for a month. Curious, because they, te- they still blame Helen for killing Burke, the therapist. Yes. What did she use to kill him? Yeah, and wasn't she, like, locked to the seat or something like that? Like, tied to the seat or something? Well, they, well, that's when the way uh, Candyman released her bindings looked like that she was just literally released. Almost like she talked Burke into taking off the straps. Then she could That's what I'm saying. Look at the size of Helen and looking at the things she's pulling off. If you're a cop, you got to at least be suspect of, like... Is she able to do this? These deaths are so brutal. Yeah. Um... Well, anyways. Uh, let's get to the biggest revelation in this entire movie. Are you ready to hear it? Yeah, I am. Oh, my God. Trevor is cheating on Helen. What? Oh, no. Trevor, it, how could you? I never would have suspected this. And it's with... I don't think I wrote her name down. The 19-year-old student. Stacy. Stacy. Yep. Stacy. And um, I'm guessing that he actually felt neglected by Helen. She's so focused on her own shit. She probably, they probably didn't have any kind of emotional connection, whereas this 19-year-old is, is a student who looks up to him and is getting a lot of attention and treating him how he wants to be treated. Helen, outside of making that dinner for him, which she did probably, probably was like a month too late. Probably pretty neglectful. She's focused on her own career, not really, yeah. Oh, man. And she's back, she's yelling at him for the sake of her career. Why'd you go ahead and do the things too soon? But Yeah, but still, it's just... It's an, it's an, it's an attention to the ego thing. This 19-year-old... Doesn't have a career. She's going to just, like, look up to me and ask questions and stuff. Helen's going to come home and talk about her project, and it's a cry for attention. And then he sees this this young woman who he finds attractive, giving him all the attention he wants. So he's like, I finally found my companion. Then he he thinks, uh, well, can I get away with it? And he almost did, but not really. Then Helen Helen walks in on them painting. Her painting. Trevor was just in the back in a robe acting, I guess, like king of the house. Yeah, well... Uh, one thing I'm wondering. I understand that she thinks that Helen is a serial killer, but um, she has some of the worst flight-or-fight responses ever. Notice how when, the minute she sees Helen, she turns around happy and giddy, sees Helen, falls down. <sighs> like, you just got yourself in a corner. You're just as bad as the girl from part two of Friday the 13th. Yeah, and you know, you knew that he was a married man. So you knew this is a possibility that the wife was going to come home and find out and try to kill you. The fact that the wife had to be a serial killer, a massive murderer, means it's you're really kind of moot. <laughs> yeah, I would, if I were to I'd just jump out the window. So. <laughs> right. So I'm just sitting there like, really? That, that's her 
Okay, whatever. Uh, from what I understand from Tony Todd was one of the hardest scenes he ever had to film because he actually had to put live bees in his mouth. Yeah, I read this. Which he got stung what seven, eight times. This took a while to get right. You know, these bees were specifically made. Like, the bees had to be a certain age to control their level of activity, how calm they were, basically. So they had to be, I think they said, like, two years old. So all these bees were bees. They actually had to home grow, basically. Right. And then you also, I'm not sure if you heard about the the bonus that Tony Todd would get for every, in his contract was that for Oh, yeah, a, I did hear about that. For every bee sting, he would get $1,000. And he was stung during the course of the movie 23 times, thus making $23,000. I did hear about that, actually. Smart. But yeah, so it's a good thing the man was not allergic to bees. Virginia Madsen was and almost turned down the movie because she was like, I'm going to have to do all these bees. So I think they tried to give her a break. I uh, think all the bees that were technically on her were all CGI. I think if you're an actor you signed up for this movie, you're probably thinking, oh, these are going to be fake bees, right? The fact that they're real bees is amazing because you're right. Tony Todd has like a mouthful of bees. Mm-hmm. What? Who agrees to that? <laughs> Tony Todd. Yeah. Uh, so here's a plot twist. If you, they don't outright say it, which is another thing I like about this movie. It definitely goes off of show, don't tell. And this one, it shows a mural of what happened to Candyman. And in the back, if you pay attention and you hear him say it was always you, you see what looks like Helen among the people. Right. So she, so it's pretty much implied in this movie that she was, she is like a reincarnation or just a lookalike of the woman he fell in love with that caused his death. It's got to be more than just a lookalike. It can't be just, oh, you look like the girl. Maybe a family member, an ancestor. But I will say this. What's, so now that we figured out who she, who she is to him, why in this whole movie... Was he going after her saying, you messed up my congregation. I must be worshipped. What's with the whole worshipping angle when we find out who she is to him? Listen, the man bigger than his hook is his ego, right? So Apparently he has a God complex. Um, but this whole, like, I, you know, the whole thing about him, like, seeing her that way and all that, it's still just about, though, he just discovered that now, maybe, but, but she came to him. He didn't come to her. She was investigating... She said his name five times. She initiated the whole thing. It wasn't like he had some plan to get Helen. She made it so he had to actually start confronting her. And then he was like, hey. It's kind of weird because that's how it plays out. But you're right. From his first dialogue, he's like, Helen, you're the one I've chosen and stuff like that. But like, she brought him to her, it seems right. like. So if she didn't investigate, do this thesis, say his name five times. There was no sign of him just randomly coming into her life, so it's tricky. Right. So, in the pros- so now we find out uh, Candyman took the baby and is now hiding in the burn pile that Cabrini Green residents have made up. Yeah, they have a a party they do, basically they, a burning party. Yep. I think it's supposed to kind of release the evil spirits or some shit like that. And this is where Candyman plans to sacrifice the baby, baby Anthony. Yep. So we go there, uh, Helen goes in, and Jake unfortunately only sees the hook that Helen is carrying. So in his mind, Candyman. Candyman. So he starts this, fire, starts this party early. Oh, yeah. In which case, yeah, Helen does save the baby. She gets away from Candyman, but in the process burns to death. So I don't really know if it was that clear, like, what was going on here. What, 
Candyman was trying to accomplish her, what she was trying to accomplish. The whole thing, she was like, you lied to me. Like, the idea was that Helen gives herself and the baby gets to live. But Candyman, I guess, is like, all three of us are going to burn hair. Mm. Why? What was Candy? What was Candyman doing? I don't understand his, what his mission was there. So, I, to be honest, uh, we'll go. I, I, if we do do the second one, I do have a theory with that. But it kind of goes with what part two is. Might as well say now because I don't think there's going to be a part two. <laughs> well, if there isn't. And so, in part two, it is, it's pretty much like he's trying to get his family back together because... We find out in part two that his that the woman that he fell in love with, you know, he took her virginity. They had sex, yada, yada. She had his kid. Mm-hmm. So later in the movie, we're following the main girl. You find out she's pregnant and about to have a kid. So he says he's pretty much wants that family that he never got to hold and love. Okay. So in this case, the reason he's trying to kill both Helen, because Helen supposedly looks like the woman that was that uh, he fell in love with, and the baby, as in the baby he would have had, had he survived. Oh, okay, that makes so sense. So it's kind of like him trying to get his family back. Because if they die, basically they join him in Candyman land. Yeah. Okay, interesting. But Helen basically says, nope, I'm going to save this baby. So she gets away with the baby, and Candyman starts reacting to the fire like, no, the fire, come back! He's suddenly very scared, and I'm like, is he in human form? The fire is actually burning him. No, what I think it is... He looks uh, like he died here. What I think it is is because he still wants the kid also to die. She gets out, yeah, she may die, but the baby's going to live. So he doesn't get what he wants. Okay, so basically, when he's in that fire, he's not actually thinking, I'm dying. He's just like, my plan is messed up, and that's why I'm at. Yes. But it seems like... He's getting hurt from the fire. It seems like this is the end for him for this movie. I mean, <laughs> this is how he goes away in the movie, so... Right, well... Um, but you're right. Helen, unfortunately, the ultimate sacrifice. Our hair burns off, and she burns, and... And then uh, we get a funeral scene where all the residents of Cabrini Green show up. Jake gives her the hook back. So To I... me, it feels like they're showing her a sign of respect for saving the baby from the fire. But I think they're also doing away with Candyman. Right. They throw the hook in the casket, and I think basically they're like, okay, we're not going to even talk about Candyman anymore. I think that's really how you beat him, basically. I think it's symbolic of, like, just that this is also Candyman ends with her, basically. Right. Um, and that's... Now, and that makes sense, then, with what we get next. Because uh, Trevor, distraught from her death, even though he's a sick individual who decided to cheat on his wife, which could... Which, uh... If, again, psychological thriller, if Candyman technically did not exist throughout this movie, that could have also caused her psychosis. Sure. Um, so him cheating on her, but he still, in a sick way, still loved her. I think it shows at the end, basically, that he's bored with a 19-year-old. And, and he wants he, his wife back. He wants his wife back. He had his, he had his fling, and this is the time where it's like, I want to go back to my wife, but she's gone. So He's distraught. So this is where we disagree, though. He starts saying her name, and the first three are very organic. They're just like, oh, Helen, Helen, Helen. But the last two times he says it, he looks in the mirror, he's figured something out, and he's like, hey, I'm going to try to summon her. I feel like the last two ones he says are intentional. I don't. You feel like he just keeps like, it's like, 
just distraught and just rambling her name off. Well, I think it's intentional, but either way... He still dies. Guess who shows up? Helen. With the hook. You know what she should have said? She said... I heard you looking for Helen, bitch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and the, then just... Well, the, the thing is, when she kills him, notice how she looks like she's getting off on it. Yeah. She really hated him. And, uh, it, it's sad because he was very traumatized. And he was missing her, and she comes back, it's but... It's too damn late. It's not his wife anymore. It's <laughs> Candyman slash wife, so... Yeah, it's Candyman's wife now. Poor 19-year-old walks in and finds him gutted on the floor. Her whole right... Her, her whole life is ruined now, too. She's yeah, because she's holding the knife. <laughs> she's framed. She's going to be... Hey, what's she going to tell the cops? Well, I mean, he was in the bathroom the and... At least the knife didn't have any blood on it. But literally, what's her story going to be? So I was making food for the kitchen. He's in the bathroom. He's talking. I walk in the bathroom. He's dead. He's gutted himself? Doesn't yes. make sense. Yes, exactly. Anyway, um, that's the end of the movie. End of the movie. Helen is the new Candyman, supposedly. But Candy they, woman. But they will never pick up on that and actually advance on that. So. Nope. But, but she became her own urban legend. We do see the painting at the end also, which now has her instead of Candyman. Yes. So she's the new mythical figure and a cabaret green. Cabrini. Cabrini. Caprini. Caprini. Yes. So, that, you know, that's a real place. They shot it, too. <laughs> so it's all based on a real place, which makes it a lot more um, authentic. So. Anyway, so for our categories, best performance. I, you know, I was telling you earlier when we were talking about it, it's like, I went in thinking this is going to be an easy lock for Tony Todd because you just you think of Candyman, you think of Tony Todd, right? But I was so blown away by the level of mental anguish and like slowly descending into craziness that Virginia Madsen has to do. She pulls it off. She's just like... She's not the most likable person, but she's just likable enough to where you are rooting for her. But you're also like, damn, her just, she's just falling to pieces, basically. And, and she's in every single scene. Tony Todd doesn't even come into 40 minutes in the movie, so I can't give him the best performance based on the time factor either. I always say it's like the best performance is good, but if it's like a 10-minute performance, ah, he's on the screen for 10 minutes. She's on the screen for an hour and a half. Gotta go with Virginia Madsen. Uh, I have to agree with you. She did, a ba- she did an amazing job. I really couldn't picture anyone else playing this role. I, I was shocked. She said in an interview that, like, you know, in her career now, like, she's known for this role. Which is good, but I'm just, like, sad. I'm like, she should have got, like, offers on top of offers afterwards. Oh, yeah. Like, Sandra Bullock, who was the second choice, would just immediately blow up and have one of the best careers of all time. But Virginia Madsen, who took the role, got the role, just is only known for Candyman. Worst performance. You may hate me. Candyman faker. Not because of the actor. Because they had him not kill somebody when he's supposed to be the one taking over the killing. So really, it's just, it's not really the actor himself. It's just, he'd made a stupid decision. It was the dumbest decision in the entire movie. I'm going to say, and this is maybe not fair to them because it's a short thing, but in that first story that's told with the biker dude and the girl. Are you talking about the little, the girl she was talking to or the guy that Bernadette was talking to? Yeah. When they tell the story and they cut to like the biker dude coming over, those two actors, (laughs) Like, they almost established, like, a comedic, horrible tone because they're so bad. They're so cheesy. I know they're only, it's only two minutes, but I'm going to go ahead and say that. I mean, it's hard to choose anybody. I'm choosing one not by acting chops, but when, just because of how stupid the decision was. When the girl's in the bathroom, she's getting ready. She's like, go downstairs. I got something for you. The guy hey. sitting on the couch, 
And he gives the most shit-eating, like... Shit-eating grin. Like, look of satisfaction before the blood comes to the wall. I'm like, I hate this guy. Anyways. So, best scene. I think me and you will agree that, for me, first time Candyman appears in the parking garage. So iconic. That... That video, if you look Candyman on YouTube, like the clips from the first movie, that one has the most views because, first of all, that, that first introduction to Tony Todd's voice, first time hearing I am the writing on the walls, classic speech, and then he sets, he sets the tone for the whole second half of the movie, so. Right, and then the worst scene for me is when Helen finds out that, you know, Trevor's cheating on her. Yeah, that was for, bad. For me, that, that's a throwaway scene. I, we could have done without it. Uh, I mean, yeah, what's the point? It's one story if we didn't already get the, cl- the clues as subtly as a brick wall with, that, with the call scene in the prison. Yeah. If we didn't get that, the scene wouldn't be that much of a throwaway. True. But because we already got that scene, we did not need the confirmation that he's cheating. We already knew. I understand she would go back to her house looking for her husband, but at that point, she could have ran in. It's been a month later. Ran in, see the whole house has changed. And then he goes, yeah, we're not together no more. I wonder if I may have actually... I wonder if I may have wanted to get rid of the the first time that her and Bernadette go to the place. Remember, they go together the first time. Right. I might just cut to that second time she goes and gets hit in the head, basically. And say Bernadette was too cautious to go. Because the movie, if there's a complaint, you could say you could say for some people maybe it is kind of slow paced at the beginning. There's a lot of exposition going on, a lot of story exposition going on, and not really much action. You could maybe cut that out and just get right to the point of her finding. It takes a long time to get to her getting attacked by the fake Candyman and setting up Tony Todd to arrive. So maybe you cut that out. And- uh, personally, I think we still need that scene because it does set up the actual. Um, the actual setting that we're going to be needing for yeah. most of this movie. Well, then cut out that damn opening talk that that scene I'm the opening scene I'm talking about with the guy telling the story. Yeah. Because actually, I think they show Tony Todd there for a second. They do. And then blood. That takes away from it. It's like, all right, we should see him for the first time at that 40 minute mark, but he's there in the mirror at the beginning, and that's just. That's why I don't classify the, that. Surprise. That's why I don't classify that as his first appearance. But it's only, it's only ruined by that damn mirror scene, so. So, for me, uh, what would you want explored more? For me, nothing. We pretty much get a pretty open, shut case movie with everything we need to know about the villain, everything we need to know about the main character, and everything we need to know about the story in order to stay invested in it. Yeah, nothing stands out. I mean, of course, I would love even more backstory on Candyman, of course. We get all the backstory we need. Yeah, true. I mean, I'm saying... That gets retconned in the next movie. Yeah, I'm saying I wouldn't mind if they gave, like, another story about Candyman. I'd, I'd be listening to it. But nothing's really needed, so... That's a nixnay on the cut-a-scene. And then, who would you want to... Who or what would you want to eliminate? And to be honest, I'd said Trevor and his whole side plot of him cheating. It may add to the, psycho- to the psychosis, but to be honest, since we know that Candyman is a real entity in this movie. Yeah. Which, that's the only psychosis we need with her. Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about that cop that she talks to a few times. Mm. I'm not sure if he ever actually factors in any kind of important way. But I guess you have to have a cop there during the, the interrogation scenes. Yeah. Um, who to get rid of? Man. 
Yeah, I guess I guess I gotta go with you're right, the husband. Because you could have cut out half that stuff and still showed him cheating at the end. Mm-hmm. But you didn't need all the, the setup scenes and that dinner scene that basically they're um, having dinner. It's kind of like just, eh, well, and that's where we get our pace. Candyman backstory. But no, no, I mean when she cooks some dinner. Oh, cooks some dinner. Yeah, this is like another thing that's slowing the pace down a little bit. Okay, yeah. So I just want to mention one more thing before we get to our final thoughts. Bad Stacy. When you're cooking, you do not take the chef's knife that's meant to be sharp and start beating the blade against your fucking hand. That's how you get cut. That's how you get a deep cut. That's how you cut your damn fingers off. Look, she's got bigger problems. The guy she was messing with is gutted and dead in the bathroom. She's got bigger fish to fry. You do not beat the blade of the knife against your hand. That's how you get, have to change out your fingers for damn hooks for fingers. She's 19. Her brain's not even fully formed. You gotta get released until 25. Bad Stacy. No. Final thoughts? Final thoughts. So my final thoughts is character, the, all the actors did an amazing job. Even, to be honest, even uh, even Candyman Faker. Oh, that is one of the best lines ever. So. <laughs> yeah, even he did an amazing job. The setting was both disturbing and interesting for everything we need to know about the situation that's going on. The villain is definitely iconic. The score is amazing. Amazing. You know the you know the the creator of the score initially didn't like the movie. He thought when he was doing the score that he was doing like a really high like a highbrow serious movie. And then when he first I guess checked it out or heard about it, he thought it was made as more like a low low rent slasher. Hmm. But over the years he came around to it and now he's like, Well, the movie's a classic, so I have to be proud of that. So. Yeah, so I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm think I'm gonna have to give this a three because whereas this movie has barely any problems, minus a few nitpicks, it's definitely not for everybody. Everyone, when they hear because this movie's classified as a slasher, I classify it more as a psychological thriller because for those who have not seen it, is going to be asking a question: Is it, is Candyman real? Is this just a figment of her imagination? Is she just going insane? But uh, all of the above. Yeah, pretty much. And then, um, but it's definitely not for everybody because it takes 40 minutes, as Vic said, to get into the meat of the story. Other than that, the whole be- the whole beginning of it is really setting up all these characters, so you can hopefully uh, feel invested in whether in their survival. So overall, I'm giving this a three. It's a good watch. If you like horror, if you like psychological thrillers, it's definitely great to watch. If you came to this expecting a full-blown slasher, yeah, just go to Tubi. Got plenty there. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I would say the exact same thing. If you go and expecting a slasher, then you will be disappointed. There's not that many kills, and most of the kills come later in the movie. Um, Now... That said, if you understand that this is not Freddy, this is not Jason, this is not Michael Myers, Candyman is its own thing. It's a psychological, slow-burn horror movie. That means you have to have patience when you watch it. And if you don't have the patience, then the first 30, 40 minutes can feel like a bit of a drag. And that's why I'm giving it three stars and not three and a half or four, because the pace of the movie is a little bit slow at the beginning. There's a lot of scenes of just characters talking... 
a lot of like uh, exposition, a lot of stuff that maybe less talking, more action could have helped a little bit. But for me personally, like I like slow burns. So I don't mind the slow burn aspect of it. But as Nick said, for a lot of horror fans, they may get bored in the first 40 minutes. Stick it out though, have patience. You get to that 40 minutes, the second half of the movie is an amazing uh, descent into basically like her whole life is fucked up. Her life go- whole life goes to shit, mentally, physically, every single way, relationship, all that. You get a lot of Tony Todd in the second half. So I'm going to go with these stars. It's a very enjoyable movie, as you said. You already kind of said everything that has to be said, basically. It has an amazing score. Um, the, the setting of it makes it unique in horror movies. And the acting is phenomenal from uh, Virginia Madsen and Tony Todd. So I'm going to say three stars. If it, was, it would almost be a four-star movie if the ending was a little bit more clear about what was going on at the end, like Candyman's intentions. And then also if they cut out of one or two scenes, maybe just a few scenes at the beginning, to get to Tony Todd a little bit quicker. Um, but three stars is still it's, it's, it's a classic in the horror genre, no doubt. So, everyone, as always, you don't have to go home, but you got to get the fuck out of here. Come back next week when we do go to New Orleans for Candyman 2. We will not be doing Candyman 2 next week. Now, that said, Candyman 2. Now, if you do go home, do not say Candyman the Mirror five times. Do not say Hell in the Mirror five times. Anyway, everyone, have a good night. Remember, if you got to say Candyman, say it six times. It may confuse them enough so that way you will run away. Take care. Later.